شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة والملائكة وأولو العلم قائما بالقسط لا إله إلا هو العزيز الحكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين ما بعد So he says فصل في أحكام الصداق We carry on from كتاب النكاح in متن الغاية والتقريب عن متن الشجاع وصلونز الغاية والتقريب وصلونز غاية الاختصار عليكم السلام وبركاته في أحكام الصداق Today we're talking about الصداق الصداق is the mahar الصداق is also known as the mahar and it is the money that is given to the to the wife for the marriage. It's the the money that is obligatory to give to be given to the wife for the marriage. Okay, and it's been called a sadaq. Some of the scholars they mention it's called sadaq because it's similar to the word what? Sadaqa, <laughs> because it's like charity. How is it like charity? Similar to charity, because you're giving a woman money. In return for what? In return for marriage. And is the marriage only for you? Only for you. It's for her, right? As well. So she gets the benefit of the marriage, and she gets the money on top of that. So it's as if it's just like charity, طيب. And rather, some of the scholars they say the benefit of the marriage for, is, more, is more for the woman than the man, because the woman she's really under care. She's being taken into another care, and then she gets the benefits of the marriage. As for the man, then he gets the benefits of the marriage, and he has to. Pay for the responsibility as well. The nafqa and also the mahar and stuff like that. So they say because of that it was called sadaq. And it was called other names. As author, the sharih he mentions here. Sadaq, wa nihla, wa farida, wa ujr, wa aliqa, wa uqr, wa sadaq. And these are different uh, places that are mentioned. These are different names that are mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah about the mahar. As for the mahar, then it's mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَآتُوا النِّسَاءَ صَدُقَاتِهِنَّ نِحْلَةً Give the woman their sadukat, يعني the mahar. Nihla, out of in, in good-hearted, good-hearted, as a gift, يعني, meaning, sorry, as a gift. And in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when the woman came to the Prophet alayhi salatu wa sallam, wanting to marry him, and he alayhi salatu wa sallam didn't want to, and so a man said, uh, زوجنيها marry me after her يعني let me marry her if you have you're not gonna marry her messenger of Allah so the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said قد زوجتكها على ما معك من القرآن I've given to her to you because of what you have from the Quran and that was her mahr and so the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in the hadith said التمس ولو خاتم خاتم من حديد see look for even a ring of iron for your mahr to show how important it is for a mahr to be present in the nikah. Rather, they say that the mahar, it has to be present in the nikah. Every single nikah, there must be a mahar. And a nikah without a mahar is not, is not there. Yani if, if the nikah happens, even if the mahar was not named, but the mahar is still there. And she can go and take it, as we're going to speak about, inshaAllah ta'ala, in today's lesson. طيب, so he says, في أحكام الصداق ويستحب تسمية المهر في النكاح. The first masala is, Mention in the nikah. Mention in the mahar, sorry. Mention in the mahar. Mention in the mahar during the contract of nikah is recommended and it's not necessarily obligatory. What we mean by the contract of nikah is when the wali is marrying his daughter off to a man. 
And so he says, Ankahtuka or Zawajtuka, or one of these similar words. Um, and, and, and then he mentions of how much money the mahar is going to be. And then he says, Qabiltu, I have accepted. Just like when we buy and sell. You know when you buy and sell something, you have to know the price of the, of the product that, you, that you're buying. And so you're buying it, or you're buying it off the person, alhamdulillah, you're buying it off the person for a specific price. And he mentions it is mentioned in the contract or it's known between them anyway. As for the mahar then, it, 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 it should be mentioned and it's the sunnah. And rather, the reason why they say it's sunnah is because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is never recorded that he um, done a nikah, performed a nikah ceremony, except that they mentioned the mahar. And number two, a second reason that they also mention is that it is adfa'u lil khusuma. It takes away any arguments later on. And how much was the mahar, it was this much or that much. So they say it is sunnah to mention it, but it is not obligatory nor is it a pillar for you to mention it. Meaning, if a person doesn't mention the mahar in the contract, then the nikah contract is still valid. And then we're going to speak about <coughs> what happens if the mahar isn't mentioned. So now the, the point here is that it is sunnah to mention the mahar. If now the mahar is not mentioned in the, in the aqd al-nikah, in the contract of nikah, he says, وَوَجَبَ مَهْرُ الْعَقْدِ The contract is correct. So if someone says, زَوَجْتُكَ this is So-and-so, my daughter, such and such. And then you say, قَبِلْتُ And you accept it. And they didn't mention a mahar. Is the contract correct? Are you married? Yes, you are. But is there a mahar? There is a mahar, but it hasn't been named. So what happens in that situation? وَوَجَبَ مَهْرُ الْمِثْلِ That the mahar al-mithl must be given. Mahar mithl is a, is a concept that I spoke to you guys about in the lessons before when, when, we, when we took it. And that is that um, when a person, when there is a, an argument between the, the husband and the wife about the mahar, or there's a dispute about how much the mahar is, the judge will go back to the mahar al-mithl. The mahar that is suitable for such a, for such, for such a woman. And each woman is, is different depending on um, themselves. And so what they say is that mahar al-mithl is the amount that the family, that, that person, her family members would get as a mahar on average. On average. How much would this fat person from this family member get? And this differs from societies, from cultures, from backgrounds, and from levels of women in society and, and, and different. And the scholars, they even mention that they go it fluctuates depending on the attributes of that specific woman for example they mention here um, things like ilm knowledge if she's a person of knowledge or she comes from a family of knowledge then her mahar may be more or if she's a, from a family of higher class then her mahar also may be more and also if she's been married before then her mahar may be less and if she's a virgin then her mahar may be more and things like that these are all considered when it comes to deciding what is the mahar mithil, what is the uh, suitable mahar for this woman specifically. But the, the main thing, the main thing when it comes to mahar mithil, deciding what the mahar is, amount, the amount of the mahar, is what? The family. And what is, what do you, the, what, the, that woman, her mother and her aunties and her sisters, what do they get as a mahar normally? Then this is what the judge is going to say to the man, you have to pay this much. Okay, is that clear? Um, <coughs> uh, the, the, girl, the first girl in her family mm. and the mother 
obviously grew up in a, in a different time and a different society. Now, mm. let's say back in Somalia, now she's living in London. Mm. So how do you judge a brother like? Yeah, in that case, they judge the what they will be given in London in here because they're living here. Mm-hmm. So be, they, they would be given here. What someone like her would be given here. Obviously, um, if it's the first time, first person ever to get married here, yeah. and that that will be a little bit different. Yeah. It will be have to, it will be judged by the family. What the family they would say what they would get back home. Like in generally, obviously, if it's, if a different country, if someone uh, from comes from a different country, their mahr will be a certain amount. And if they come here, if it goes higher, then we, we take that mahar that's here. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. The culture, everything. Where exactly where she's from. Yeah, and it's dependent on her culture, not your culture, not the man's culture. Mm-hmm. The woman's culture. And where she is. For example, you're living here and she's living in a different country. Her mahar mithil in a different country may be different. Tayyip. Here it will be different. So it's about where she is and her culture, her society, her position in society. Is that clear? Yes. So he says, فَإِلَّمْ يُسَمَّى So now if there's no contract, if there's no mahar mentioned in the, in the contract of nikah, صح العقد, the contract is, uh, is correct. وَوَجَبَ مَهْرُ الْمِثْلِ بِثَلَاثَةِ أَشْيَاءَ And مَهْر الْمِثْل will be given in three different situations. Number one, أَنْ يَفْرِضَهُ الْحَاكِمُ The judge. He, the, the case is brought to the judge. For example, a man and a woman, they were married. And then, when they were married, then, then the, the, the mahar wasn't men- mentioned inside the contract. And so, during the marriage, she asked for her mahar, and he said that my mahar was this much. And she said, no, my mahar is this much. And they, uh, they, they argued. And it, was, it wasn't mentioned. But he said, I was intending to pay you this much. And she was like, no, I expected this much. Who is the one that is taken to? You take it to the judge. And what's the judge going to do? The judge is going to give her, is going to say that you have to give her mahr al-mithl. If it is more than what he expected, then he has to pay more than he expected. And if it is less than what she expected, then it has to be less than what she expected. But generally she is given, that is her, her mahr, mahr al-mithl. Oh, number, the second situation is, oh, yafridahu zawjan. The second situation is that uh, two, the, two, the husband and the wife, they themselves, they agree on, on having this amount of mahr. The mahr al-mithl. So the, the, in the contract it wasn't mentioned, and then when they, uh, when they disputed, they agreed to give mahar mithil and they agreed upon the, that, that price. And so that will be that will be the price. Is that clear? And the third situation is, oh or he enters upon her. Yani he has he consummates the marriage. If he consummates the marriage, then now he has to pay the mahar, and the mahar that he has to pay if the money wasn't if the mahar wasn't mentioned in the contract. It will be again Mahr al Mithil as well in that situation as well. Mm. Oh, Yafridahu Zawjan, Zawjan al Nafsi? Yeah. Yani Karibim, it's just similar, similar. Oh, Yafridahu Zawjan, oh, al Nafsi. Yani it's slightly similar. But it's not exactly the same. <laughs> then he says, Walaysa li akali sadaqi wala li akthari haddun. Naam, this mas'ala is. Um, the, the, the scholars they mention this mas'ala because of the difference of opinion sometimes they mention it because of that that what's the limit the highest limit of a mahar and what's the lower limit of the mahar is there a highest limit or is there a lowest limit we say wallahu alam the correct opinion is that there is no limit to the highest amount of mahar that can be given you have to give as much as you want and the lowest limit there is no lowest limit except that it must be the only condition is that 
it has to be a beneficial something that has benefit something that has benefit um, even if it's just the, the most and the most minor of money one pen, one p is allowed to be that's allowed to be the mahal what's the evidence for that as for the evidence for the highest mahal then Allah says in the Quran وَإِنَ أَرَدْتُمْ اسْتِبْدَالَ زَوْجٍ مَكَانَ زَوْجٍ وَآتَيْتُمْ إِحْدَاهُنَّ قِنْطَارًا If you want to marry another wife and you've given one of those wives a qintar qintar is a as amount of money that is a, the amount of a, of a gold in, in mountain a mountain in gold if you given even if you gave one of your wives a mountain in gold and then you want to leave her فَلَا تَأْخُذُوا مِنْهُ شَيْئًا don't take from that money anything أَتَأْخُذُونَهُ بُهْتَانًا وَإِثْمًا مُبِينًا are you going to take it and in, in un, 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 undeservedly and in sinning yeah, and you're going to steal off her her money because that's her right وَإِثْمًا مُبِينًا وَكَيْفَ تَأْخُذُونَ and Allah says how are you going to take that off her وَقَدْ أَفْضَى بَعْضُكُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ whilst you two have um, consummated the marriage with each other وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْكُمْ مِثَاقًا and they have taken from you a heavy contract a heavy contract and this is a, waqfa, a point that I want to stop at and speak about and that is that the, the contract of nikah is not a light contract and there's a few ayat that show us how a person needs to and as I mentioned there's a few ayat in the Quran and evidences in the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, that are the heavy, the highest um, evidences that are used in chapters of fiqh and from amongst these evidences that are used is this ayah to show the heaviness of the contract of nikah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compares or describes the contract of nikah as as what? Mithaqan He mentions it that it is a heavy contract. This description is the same description that was given to the contract between Allah and His Prophets. Allah says in the Quran, Remember when we took the contracts and the covenants from the Prophets. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi These five prophets And some of the scholars they say Ulul Azmi bin al-Rusul These are the, uh, the, the highest ranking of the prophets These five prophets And then Allah says about them وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُمْ وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُمْ مِثَاقًا غَلِيظًا And we, take, we took from them and we've taken from them A heavy contract غَلِيظ يعني something that's thick Very very hard to break And this contract that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took between the prophets he used the adjective to describe it. Just like that, and then in this ayah, he described the contract between the man and the, and the, and the, and the wife. How did, he, how did he describe it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْكُمْ مِثَاقًا غَلِيظًا They've taken from you, from the men, the women, have taken from a man a heavy contract. And this is something that needs to be in the, in the minds, presence in the minds of everyone when they are speaking about, or when they're, when they're indulging, about to indulge into the mas'ala of nikah, marriage. You're about to enter into a contract between a man and a woman. She's taken that woman, she's taken from you a contract that you're going to be asked about on the day of judgment. Allah the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he told us, alaykum I'm severely warning you about the rights of the two weak people, the orphan and the woman. Before he was dying, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam telling us, I'm severely warning you about this. And the Prophet alayhi salatu in the hadith that was narrated by Abu Dawood when he mentioned about the woman when they came around to the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said لَقَدْ طَافَ بِآلِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ نِسَاءٌ 
there are women that have came around to the house of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, meaning his house. They've come to my house. Yashkuna min azwajihinna. They're complaining about their, about their husbands. Or, yeah, yeah, that they used to hit them. The husband used to hit the wife. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ula'iki laysu bi khayrikum. These people, they're not the best of you. Meaning the men. The men who hit their wives, they're not from the best of you. And the Aisha radiallahu anha narrated, she said, ma, ma darab Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam khadiman wa lam ra'atan qat. The Prophet والسلام, he never hit a servant or a woman at all, ever. And so the, the, this, this uh, oppression, and uh, oppressive hit, we're talking about generally. And the Prophet وسلم, never hit anyone. Like we're talking about this oppression that happens between a husband and a wife. This is a contract that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken from you. And the woman has taken from you this contract. And you're going to be asked about it. And look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes this contract. So the point here is that, وَلَيْسَ لِأَقَلِّ الصَّدَاقِ وَلَا لِأَكْثَرِهِ حَدٍ There's no limit to the highest amount because Allah says وَآتَيْتُمْ إِحْدَاهُنَّ قِنْطَارًا Even if you give, give a wife a qintar of money qintar is a, the amount of gold, uh, the mountain of gold A mountain of gold you give her in mahar and you divorce her You're not allowed to take anything from her That's her right now you can't, And that shows that you're allowed to give the mahar There's no, there's no limit طيب, And the lowest limit, there's no low limit either As long as it's something that you can benefit from and the evidence for that is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. When he, when, when the man, when we just mentioned the hadith, when the man came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, said, "Marry me off to this woman," and so the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to him, "Iltamis wa min hadid. Go look for a mahar, even if it be a ring from iron, an iron ring, and a, a ring made from iron. Even if you can find a ring made from iron, bring it and give it as a mahar. And that shows that there's no limit to the what's the iron ring worth? Almost nothing, right? So that shows that." There is no limit to the least amount. But he says, But you are allowed to marry her as a mahar a benefit. يعني, you're not giving her a, a, a product, money or something like that. You're giving her a benefit. For example, you say, I'm going to marry you off. I'm going to marry you. And the mahar is that you live in this house, my house. You live in the house for one year. Or you can, you can rent this house instead of renting it. You don't have to rent this house. You can use that house for one year. Obviously, other than the house that she's living in. Since that house is yours for one year as a benefit. You're not giving her the house. But what are you giving her? You're allowing her to use the house. Or you say you can rent my car for one year. Or six months. And she, if she accepts, she accepts. And the evidence for that is the same hadith. When the man, he went and he looked for a, a, a ring even from iron. And he came back and the Prophet wasallam. Uh, he said to the Prophet والسلام, I didn't find even I, couldn't, I was so poor that I couldn't even find an iron ring And so the Prophet وسلم, said ما معك من القرآن? What have you memorized from the Quran? And so the man said uh, Surah Kada wa Kada wa Kada I memorized this surah and that surah and that surah And so the Prophet وسلم, said فقد زوجتكها على ما معك من القرآن Go because I've married you off to her uh, For what, what you have from the Quran Yani teach her those surahs that you have from the Quran and that's your mahar for her. Is that a benefit? It's a benefit, right? A teacher. It's like paying a teacher. <laughs> so anything that you can pay for, anything that's a benefit, then it can be a mahar. Whether it be she says, teach me how to read and write, then that's my mahar. Teach me a surah from the Quran, then that's her mahar. Right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be a product. It can be a book. Yani a book is a, is a product. It can be money. That's one side. And it can be a benefit. A benefit which is ujra. You're something that she, you, you normally pay for, but you're doing it for to her. You're doing it for her, as a, as the mahar. Is that clear? It's the benefit, right? Eh? Mm.
Yeah, so a book is a product. No, the book is a product. Teaching of the book is the benefit. You say, I'll teach you Matthew and Shijah. I'll teach you this book. That's fine. I'm giving her the book is the benefit. The, ma- the mahr has to be? Complete. Completed before the. For example, if you want to teach her the sword before the No, no, no. The mahr doesn't have to be complete. But she has the right to refuse from you. She has the right from. She has the right to refuse you from touching her until she until you give the mahar. She has the right, but it doesn't have to be complete. And if you get married and you haven't given the mahar yet, then there's no problem, except the only fact that she's allowed to. She has the she has the right to refuse you from touching her until you give her the mahar. She's allowed to do that. <coughs> no, that statement you got you misunderstood it. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala he says whoever thinks that their mahar is, the, is, the, is your value yani you think your mahar is your value as a woman she thinks that her mahar I'm, I'm, I'm such a good woman I deserve this much money if you think that then, then you're not better than the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or Fatima radiallahu anha you're not better than them so that's jahil like and to say that it's make your mahar a lot it's no problem it's a lot you understand the difference? Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. this is our fault same thing. Some of the scholars they mentioned that as well as Tidilal for that the Musa married the woman for and he worked for the father for eight years or ten years. Right? Ten years. It's not necessarily for the father, it's for both. If she agrees, then it's allowed. If I say, if, I, if, I, if, a woman marry, if I marry a woman, off, if I marry a woman and she says, work for my father for 10 years, then that's her basically paying me to work for the father, right? Then he says, wait, next mas'ala, let's start mas'ala, yeah? let's finish, yeah? Oh, by the way, and the reason why the, reason why the scholars, they mention that is because some of the scholars, they do say, there's a limit to the, there's an upper limit, and there is a, uh, lower limit to the mahar. Now, some of the scholars Abu, Han- Abu Hanifa from I remember Abu Hanifa mentions that it's ten dirham, the minimum. Minimum. Imam Abu Hanifa mentions ten dirham is the minimum. Silver, yeah. Uh, ten dirham. No, because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when a woman was being married off, she. The Prophet ﷺ said, uh, do you, Are you happy for your mahar to be na'alayn? Two shoes? Two shoes. She said, Yes, I'm happy for my, my mahar to be two shoes. And Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah says, Two shoes are worth ten dirham. So they don't use that as evidence. Mm. Then he says, Next mas'ala is, This mas'ala is, If a person divorces their wife, before consummating the marriage, if a person divorces their wife before, are you guys reading that? If a, a person divorcing their wife before consummating the marriage, what happens in that situation? It says, If a person consummates the marriage before the, if a person, sorry, divorces his wife before consummating the marriage, then half of the mahar is taken away. So he divorces her. Before consummate, before touching her, then in that case he only owes her half the mahar and she can go, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, 
وإن طلقتموهن من قبل أن تمسوهن وقد فرضتم لهن فريضة If you now you divorce a woman and you haven't touched her and you have promised her a mahar you mentioned the mahar so you said your mahar is 1000 pounds for example وقد فرضتم لهن فريضة وزال الله سيد فنصف ما فرضتم so then you have to give half of it you give half of it in that situation فنصف ما فرضتم إلا أن يعفون أو يعفو الذي بيده عقدة النكاح unless she forgives you or the one he forgives you that's the first situation the second situation is that a person divorces their wife before consummating the marriage and they didn't mention the mahar in the time of the contract. Remember we said you don't have to mention the mahar at the time of the contract, right? So they didn't mention the mahar at the time of the contract and they did not consummate the marriage. And they divorced her before they consummated the marriage. And in that case Allah says, The one who has, then give her muta, muta. And muta, it has three meanings that we have in the Sharia generally. Three meanings. You, two of them are in Kitab and Nikah, and one of them is Kitab. Huh? The online lessons, offline lessons. We've done it a lot of times. Huh? Muta, Tamatur. Hajj. In Hajj. Muta has three meanings in the Sharia. Number one is the meaning of Hajj. It's the type of Hajj. Hajj al Tamatur, Muta. And a lot of people they get confused. They read the hadith of Ibn Abbas when, the Prophet, when he said that he commanded the people to do mut'ah. And they say the mut'ah that Ibn Abbas is talking about is hajj. But they're talking about mut'ah that Shia do. So they say Ibn Abbas allowed the people to do mut'ah. Okay? The second type of mut'ah is this mut'ah in, 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 in. Actually, no, no. Let's talk about it in a second. The second type of mut'ah is the mut'ah of the Shia. Where they say that you can marry a woman, give her mahar for, for a small period of time. Yani you can marry her for a day. They do, the Shia, they do that, and they say it's allowed. And this was something that was allowed in the Sharia and in Islam, at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And then, he before, and then it was abrogated by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa We allowed it for a period of time, now it's no longer allowed. The Shia, they still do it. They say, what? You're allowed to marry a woman for one day, do what you want with her, give her the money, and, and you leave. And this is muta that we speak about in Kitab al-Nikah, we're going to speak about inshallah ta'ala, about the Nikah that's not allowed, and one of them is muta. Nikah al-Muta'a. That's not allowed. And the third type of muta is this. What we're talking about here. Muta'a here is talking about when you divorce a woman, the money that you give her. The money that you give a woman when you divorce her. And so, what, what we're speaking about here, we're speaking about if a woman, if a man marries a woman and divorces her before consummating the marriage. And they never mention the mahar in the contract. Then in that case, what happens? He has to give her muta'a. عَلَى الْمُوسِعِ قَدَرُ فَمَتِّعُوهُنَّ In the ayah, فَمَتِّعُوهُنَّ Give her muta'a عَلَى الْمُوسِعِ قَدَرُ وَعَلَى الْمُقْتِرِ قَدَرُ The one who has money, you have to give a lot of money, and the one who has less money, you have to give less money. What is it? So it's the amount of money that is judged according to the situation of the man. It's the amount of money that is judged according to the situation of a man. So let's say now, for example, again, a man married a woman. There was no mahar mentioned in the, in the contract. Before they touched each other, before they consummated the marriage, they had a divorce. The man has to give, the man never mentioned the mahar, right? So what does he have to give her? He has to give her the amount that he's able to give, according to his situation. Who judges that? The judge, the hakim, the ruler, the judge, the qadi. You go to the judge and you say, I have to give this woman muta'a, how much should it be? Allah says, فَمَتِّعُوهُنَّ عَلَى الْمُوسِرِ قَدَرُهُ وَعَلَى الْمُقْتِرِ قَدَرُهُ The one who has a lot of money, then he has to give a bit more muta'a. And the one who has little money, he has to give 
less mut'a. Is that clear? That is before marriage. Now, yeah. yeah, the judge in in a non-Muslim country, all the scholars that are asked when they when they when they when they when they speak about this, they say it's the imams of the masajid, the imams of the masajid. And I and I and I, told, I told you brothers before that we should generally look into the bigger masajid, the bigger masajid where which are officially or government known or something like that. Government, like East London Mosque, Regent Park Mosque, these kind of masajid that are bigger known in London, for example, in Birmingham, these masajid, Green Lane, things like that. You understand? Sharia Council in Leighton, not any any small place, right? That's just my recommendation. I'm not saying it's not correct. It's my recommendation. Play. So that's the second situation, right? Where you didn't mention the mahar. The third situation now. That's the third situation. The third situation is if you don't mention the mahar and you divorce her after consummating the marriage, then in that situation you have to give her maharul mithil and muta'a. Maharul mithil is what? The mahar that a woman like her gives. Because you didn't mention gets. Remember we mentioned maharul mithil at the beginning. Which is the average mahar for this kind of woman. Her family, they get this much money, therefore you give her that. And you also give her muta'a as well. Which is the amount of money that you can afford. Okay? And the third situation, the fourth situation is what? If you divorce her, after you married her, and after you constantly made the marriage, and you mention the mahar. In that case, you give her the mahar, and you have to give her muta'a. There's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars now here. Oh, wait, you guys all the situations? Those people who are writing. Hmm. Um, it is if you marry her, you don't mention the mahar, and you divorce her after you consummate the marriage. What, did I, I said it wrong, I said it wrong. No, 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 but I said the hukum wrong. You have to give her mahar. Yeah, you have to give her mahar, right? Because you consummated the marriage, right? Because when you consummate the marriage, you have to give the mahar fully. All the time, as a principle. Mahar uh, the, the, the mahar that someone like her gets. And I, and I said, you have to give her muta as well. That's wrong. I said, I said that's wrong. I said, you have to give her muta, right? I didn't say that. That's wrong. Cross that out, huh? You don't have to give her muta. According to the majority of scholars. You give the mahar a different. Mahar is different. Mahar, you have to give it. If you consummate the marriage or you die, you have to give mahar. Okay? But you have to give, when do you have to give muta'a? You have to give muta'a before you consummate the marriage. طيب, let's say you consummate the marriage. Mahar we spoke about it. You give her the mahar that you mentioned or you give her mahar al-mithri. As for the muta'a, do you have to give it to her as well? There's difference of opinion amongst the scholars. The majority of the scholars, they say it is sunnah to give her muta'a. To give her amount of money because you're divorcing her. You're saying, okay, I'm divorcing you. Here's a little bit of money. Allah says in the Quran, وَلِلْمُطَلَّقَاتِ مَتَاعٌ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ حَقًّا عَلَى الْمُتَّقِينَ The women who are divorced, they are given mata' يعني as a good, good will gesture Allah says, leave her off in a good way Divorce, even in divorce we're commanded to do ihsan We're commanded to do something good in divorce That you give her some money to let her go with طيب. So, that is the opinion of the majority of the scholars can anyone repeat that to me? Let me ask you guys questions just so everyone gets in the head. These principles. 
If someone consummates the marriage, do they have to give mahar? Do they have to give muta'ah? It is sunnah. If someone doesn't consummate the marriage, doesn't consummate the marriage, and he mentions the mahar, what does he have to give? Half of the mahar. If he consummates the marriage, I mean doesn't consummate the marriage, huh? and he never mentioned the mahar, what does he have to give? Mut'ah. Everyone got that? Can I, shall I repeat again? Okay. Someone gets married. The first situation is he marries without mentioning a mahar. That's the first situation, yeah? From this, they're going to come two situations. Either he consummated or he didn't. If he consummated, he has to give? What does he have to give? If he consummated, he never mentioned it. Mahr al And if he never consummated the marriage? Muta'a. Second situation is he got married. And he mentioned the mahar. If he gets married, if, if, if he divorces before the consummation, what do you have to give? Half. And, he, and if he divorces after, it is sunnah to give muta'a. If now you get married and you mention the mahar. If you don't, if you, if you consummated the marriage, you have to give her? Half. And if you don't consummate the marriage, you have to? What? It's sunnah to give muta'a. You don't have to give muta'a. You have to give mahar. Yeah, if you don't consummate, then what do you give? Half. Half. And if you do, you have to give the full. If you mentioned it, yeah. Full mahar. Do you have to give muta'a? So basically, muta'a after consummating the marriage is not wajib. Before consummating the marriage is wajib if you didn't mention the mahar. Is that clear, guys? Hmm. You mentioned the mahar and you didn't consummate the marriage, then you have to give her half. You have to give her half. Um, Ibn Taymiyyah has an opinion that muta'a is wajib for every divorce. Every time you divorce a woman, you have to give muta'a. Why? He says, Allah says in the Quran, Look how Allah emphasizes it in the Quran. He says, All women, what does that show? Al-umum is general. Every woman is divorced. Right? He, she deserves. A woman, للمطلقات متاع, they have to give him متاع, للمعروف, according to what is the customs, حقا, Allah says, أحقه حقا, يعني, حقا is a right, على, on, المتقين, for the people of taqwa, and you have to have taqwa, right? Look at how much Allah emphasized this, this concept of muta'a. So because of this, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala says, that it is obligatory upon the man to give muta'a for every single divorce. This opinion, حقيقةً, is strong in some ways, but it has its own, it has its problems as well. That's why we say the majority of the scholars, they say, the majority of the scholars, they say that mut'a is sunnah after consummation, wajib before consummation. Okay? No. It's judged by, by the judge according to the situation of the man. The judge looks into the situation of the man and he gives it. But if they are pleased, no, no, it doesn't have to be. If he gives her something and she's pleased with it, that's fine. It doesn't have to be. Um, نعم قدره القاضي بالاجتهاد 
if they if they if they disagree, then the then the qadi he judges. No. No. طيب. That is that مسألة, right? طيب. The next مسألة is. It's a good question. Allah <laughs> You know, there's opinion. There's an opinion to say that you're not allowed to give her something that's not tangible. There's an opinion that says you have to give her something like you have to give her money or something like that. Maybe that's one of the arguments they use. Allah Maybe. Allah <laughs> the book. Allah I don't know. That's a good question. Inshallah. Someone remind me of that question. I'm going to look for it, inshallah. طيب. He says, والوليمة على العرس مستحبة. Now we're talking about الوليمة. Having the walima. And the walima, generally as a word, the word walima is used for every meal that you call people to. يعني if you call someone to a meal, it's called walima. Whether you call them to a meal of nikah, whether you call them to a meal of aqiqah, whether it is a, a meal of eid, um, any type of meal that you call people to is called walima. But as for when we speak about in Kitab al-Nikah, then we're talking about the walima of Nikah. And it is something that is the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet alayhi salatu wa sallam said to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, awlim walaw bishah. When Abdul Rahman ibn Awf got married and he saw the athar, the, 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 the remnants of wars, which is a yellow kind of tib, uh, one of, yellow kind of dye that was left on his clothing. He said to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, radiallahu ta'ala, he said to him, um, did you get married? What happened? He said, I got married. And he said, what was the mahar? The mahar was an amount of gold, the amount of a date, date seed. That amount, that much gold was his mahar, Abdul Rahman bin Awf. And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him, awlim walaw bishah. Do the walima, even if it be just by one sheep. Slaughter just one sheep, and that is enough as a walima. And the walima is sunnah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam done it himself. And the sunnah is to do it with a sheep, at least a sheep, with meat. Yani meat. Okay? And if you cannot find meat, then anything else is allowed, even if it be haysa. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he done it with that. And haysa is a type of food where they get dates and kind of butter and flour and they mix it together. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married Safiya bint Huyay, he done walima and that's what they ate for the walima. So the walima, as the author rahimahullah ta'ala says, he says here, al-ursi. When a person gets married, then it is mustahabba, it is recommended. Therefore, is it obligatory? No. It is not obligatory upon you to do the walima. But he says, وَالْإِجَابَةُ إِلَيْهَا وَاجِبَةٌ إِلَّا مِنْ عُذْرٍ But responding to the walima, attending the walima is obligatory. Attending the walima is obligatory. So actually performing the walima, having a walima, is not wajibah, you don't have to do it. But if someone calls you to a walima specifically, you as a, as a person, he calls your name, not as a group. If I say, everyone come to my walima tomorrow, then you don't have to come. But if I say to you as a name, specifically individual, then you have to come to the walima illa min udrin unless you have an excuse. And that's because of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When the Prophet alayhi salatu wa sallam, he said, Subhanallah. In the hadith, we took it in Kitab al-Tawheed. In the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Man sa'alaka billahi fa'atuhu, whoever asks you by Allah, then give, then give it to, give it to him. وَمَنْ اسْتَعَاذَكَ بِاللَّهِ Whoever seeks refuge with Allah, from, from Allah, from, with Allah from you, فَعِيذُوهُ Then protect him. So someone said, I seek refuge. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَمَنْ دَعَاكَ فَأَجِيبُوهُ Whoever calls you, then respond to him. What he means by that? 
whoever calls you to a walima of marriage, then you must respond to him. And this hadith that shows that it is obligatory. And also in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, whoever does not respond to the walima, then he is not from us. He is not from us. Okay? Um, Naam. No, no, no. If a guest was gonna no, it has to be from the person. It has to be directly from the person. That's the only time when it's become wajib. We're gonna mention the, the conditions where it becomes wajib here. Okay? أما الإجابة على الوليمة فإن كانت وليمة عرس فإن أو فإن أو نعم. So he says, نعم. من لم من لم يجب الدعوة فقد عصى الله ورسوله. Whoever does not respond to the da'wah in the hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, whoever does not respond to a da'wah, يعني calling to Allah to the walima, then he has disobeyed Allah and His messenger. And this shows that um, the walima that responding to walima is wajib. Even though some of the shafi'i they say it is sunnah, you don't have to go. Like in the correct opinion is that it is wajib. Um, as for if someone, so he says. In certain situations, then it is not necessarily wajib. Oh, sorry, it becomes wajib in certain situations. Number one is naam. If he calls you specifically, a person he calls you specifically. Number two is that there is no. Excuse for you not to go. Yani if you have an excuse not to go, then you don't have to go. Number four is that you don't you're not called to a walima where there's going to be evil. So let's say there's number three, sorry. Number three. Where there's evil. If there's anything evil like music for example, you have to go? No. If there's music, rather you're not allowed to go. And if you do go, you have to forbid the evil, tell them to turn off the music. And if they don't, then you have to leave. طيب. These are some of the conditions of, of responding to walima. The next masala also is important to know about walima is that the walima, the, the obligation is attending, not eating. The obligation is what? Attending, not eating. So if you go there and you don't eat, then you don't have to eat. Then you've, you've done your obligation. And the sunnah is if you are fasting to break your fast. But you don't have to. It is sunnah to break a sunnah fast. So if you're fasting as a sunnah fast, as a voluntary fast, you're not fasting Ramadan, and you go to a walima, then it is sunnah for you to go and eat if the person wants you to do so. If not, then you can keep fasting. Because the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that when you're called to a walima, then eat from the food, even if you're, and if you're, unless you're fasting, فصلوا عليه, then pray for him. صلوا عليه, يعني, make dua for him. Go, make your dua, give your congratulations and stuff like that. And leave. That's enough. Okay. Yeah. If I get the invitation saying we're inviting you to this specifically event meeting and your family, it's upon me to go, but not my family to attend. Or no, yeah, just you. It doesn't have to be your whole family. No, just you. So it has to be specifically to you. That's when it becomes uh, an obligation upon you. And we said that the, the minimal walima is what? The sunnah is what? A sheep. A sheep, huh? Tayyib. Naam. خلاص طيب yeah. the sunnah there's not there's not necessarily a sunnah when it comes to the time when you do the walima but the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam will do it after the consummation of the marriage as opposed to what a lot of people do today but that is not necessarily sunnah 
And if your culture says that you do it before the consummation of the marriage, then that's better to, to conform with your culture. As for the Prophet ﷺ, then it was part of the, that culture that he done it after the consummation of the marriage. Like it's not necessarily sunnah. And you can do it, they say, the scholars, they say, they, for example, someone does it for three days. They do walima one day, two days, second day, right? Three days. Each day they do a walima, right? They say the only obligation is for you to attend the first one. You don't have to attend the second or the third. But there's no sunnah when it comes to a day, seven days later, five days later, no. This is talking about the rulings that are pertaining to Al-Qasmi Wal-Nushuz Al-Qasm is dividing your time amongst your wives Dividing your time amongst your wives And Nushuz is the disobedience of the wife The disobe disobedience of the wife And one of the most important ayat when it comes to this issue is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran about the wife وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ that we're meant to live with your wives in good and this is the umdah the, the, the ayah that needs to be at the top of your head when you're looking at this, this bab live with your wives in a good way don't be someone who is evil to their wives and that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَعَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ فَإِن كَرِهْتُمُوهُنَّ فَعَسَى أَن تَكْرَهُ شَيْئًا وَيَجَعَلُ اللَّهُ فِيهِ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا even if you hate something about them or you hate them, then maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring something good from them. So always live with your wives in a good way. But what happens when someone is going through the situation of a nushuz? And nushuz is considered to be disobedience of the wife. Okay? And disobedience of the wife is in two things, generally, for it to be called a nushuz. Number one is in the bed at night, yani in uh, intimacy. A woman is not allowed to reject the calling of her husband unless there is an excuse. She's not allowed to reject the calling of her husband without an excuse. If she does so, then she's considered to be a nashizah. She has, she's done a major sin. And as the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ told us, that when a woman uh, uh, rejects her husband and they sleep, then the angels, they curse her. Until if that husband sleeps angry, then the angels curse her until they wake up. And that shows that it's a major sin for her to do that. And she's considered also to be a nashiza. Yani she's um, disobedient. And we're going to come to the rulings regarding that. And number two is <coughs> leaving the house. The woman is not allowed to leave the house of her husband without permission. And this is because of the huge right that the husband has over the woman. The Prophet ﷺ, he told um, when, when a woman got married, he said, look at your, look at your husband. فَإِنَّهُ جَنَّتُكِ وَنَارُكِ He is your Jannah and he is your Hellfire. Depending on his pleasure. The pleasure of the husband is the pleasure of Allah. And the anger of the husband is also the anger of, the, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or a similar hadith to that. And it comes about the parents as well. Like in the similar hadith to that as well. And so that shows the huge right of the husband. In the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, If I was to command anyone and yes, to, to, to do sujood to anyone other than Allah, then I would command the wife to do the sujood to the husband. To show the huge right that the husband has over the right. As Allah says in the Quran, That the men, they are the caretakers of the women. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him estates over her. And also because of his wealth that he provides for her. Just like the husband has these rights, has these responsibilities that he must give. Then he also has these rights that also must be given to him, and these are from the rights of the husband. So an-nushuz is a major sin for a woman to refuse uh, to, to disobey the husband in 
when it comes to sleeping at night and when it comes to leaving the house. These are the only things that are considered to be in nushuz. As for anything else, that's not nushuz. It can be given generally. It can. But that means it's given for each, each, each situation. Yani if, a woman, if a man gives, gives permission to her husband to leave the house whenever she wants, then that's fine. Then she has her permission. And it can be general. She doesn't have to ask every single time if she knows. And, she, and the husband and the wife, they, they know each other. Mm. No, it's known. It doesn't have to be. Al-ma'roofu urfan is a condition, a principle in fiqh. Al-ma'roofu urfan kal mashruti sharqan. Anything that is known according to the custom, then it's as if a condition has been placed. And that's, that's similar to it. Mm. So if a wife's order is calling her and she has to leave the house for that, but the husband is saying, no, you have to stay in the gets the The husband. Husband has more right than the father. The husband has more right than the father in, in, in obedience. Mm. And the second question is, if there's the same apply for a husband if she calls the husband to bed and he refuses? No, it's not considered to be in shoes. But he has to. Um, well, good question. And if a, if a husband is called to bed by the wife for intimacy, then does he have to accept? Then the correct opinion, wallahu alam, there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Wallahu alam, the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah seems to be strong is that he has to accept every single time that, he, that she needs and he's able. Every single time that she needs and he's able, then it's obligatory upon him. But it's not the same sin. It's not the same sin. Allahu alam, we don't do qiyas on that. Lakin, it is a sin. He's not allowed to do that. He's not allowed to do that. That's all right. Like twice a day. Would, would it be like a it's fine, it's allowed. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would go around his wives, all of them one day. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. If, she, if, she, if he doesn't give her her rights, if he doesn't give her her rights, then no. Then she has the right to refuse that. Her, her rights of nafaqa. And the rights, we're going to speak about the husband. The husband has to give certain rights. He doesn't, but if you're talking about just generally, he's a rude person and this and that, then no. And she has the option of, obviously, if she can't live with him now, it's impossible. She has the option of khul'ah. We're going to speak about khul'ah as well, which is that she can leave the marriage, go, to, go annul the marriage. Right? Because the scholars, they say, al-khul'ah is for man karihat khuluqan aw khilqah. If you hate the husband's characteristics, mannerisms, or you hate his looks, the way he looks, you don't like the way he looks, you're allowed to go and get annul the marriage to the point where you can't uh, live with him. So in that situation, she has that, she has that option. But uh, generally, if, just, if it's just like, he's just rude to her, then no, she doesn't have that right. Unless she goes to annul the marriage. Hmm. So the, the husband gives the woman um, general permission to leave the house. Mm. Is he allowed to do ishtaratuna and say, uh, whenever you leave, let me know, basically? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that shahr becomes wajib. Wajib, yes. No time. Nah, that's the ijma. Ibn Munzir mentions ijma. No difference of opinion amongst the scholars that if the mahar hasn't been paid, then she's allowed to refuse to go to bed with him. If, if the mahar has been, hasn't been paid, then she's allowed to refuse that. Wallahu a'alam. Tayyib. So he says, Fasulun fi ahkamil qasmi wa nushuz. The ruling pertaining to qasm and nushuz. Hmm. Last question. As for leaving the house, Allahu a'alam. I don't know. Like in terms of going to bed, she gets out to refuse in that. That was the last question. I don't know to ask. But like, if I say last question, don't be hand on next time. Go on. Go on.
a symbol of mental rape or something like that. Uh, what can you say against that? We don't take our morals from the West, and from the West what they believe this, what they believe in. If they believe that's that, then that's them. We don't take that. We take it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the best rulings. The one who created us, does he not know what's best? Does he not know what's best for us? Allah says, Who's better for Allah in ruling than people who are certain? And if people, if you're, if you're raised, and this is a problem with Muslims, this is one of the biggest problems that I believe comes from raising Muslims in non-Muslim lands. That they're raised, even un unknowingly, they're raised with Western morals sometimes, right? So, who said that they, what they say is, is, be is best? Who said that? According to, according to them. So, and, and, and number two is that there's something that the, 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 if the Sharia allowed it, and the Sharia told us to do it, then no doubt it's best. And if you think about it, think about it now, think about it here. As a man, as a man, if a man has been told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not commit zina, don't go commit zina. You're not allowed to commit zina and it's haram. Because of what it leads to. Having sex outside of marriage, what does it lead to? It leads to uh, different diseases being spread. It leads to corruption. It leads to fatherless, parents, fatherless children. Zina has not been allowed. Khalas. We all agree zina is bad. Then we've been put into marriage. We say you're allowed to enjoy your wives. You're allowed to enjoy women inside, your, inside, your, inside marriage. No problem. Now, if a woman now goes into, you're getting into a marriage. And rejects the husband, rejects the husband from fulfilling his right, natural human instinct. It's natural for a man to want and need to fulfill his desires sexually. It's natural, it's needed. If a woman now is refusing this husband from that, whilst he's trying to do it in a halal way, what is, he, what is she causing now? She's causing the husband to look elsewhere now. Maybe going, looking elsewhere to commit zina. No doubt he's going to be sinning if he does go and do that. He's going to be sinning. But there is a wisdom behind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling, telling us to do that. No, it doesn't just cause that. It causes fraction in the marriage itself. The husband and the wife, when the, if, the, if the woman, she thinks that she can do whatever she wants in that situation like that. It's going to cause anger and hate between them. Right? It's going to cause, and what does that cause? That causes fraction within the family. It causes the children, يعني, seeing arguments all the time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wallahi, if you contemplate upon the sharia of Allah, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the rulings down, you realize there's nothing better than this sharia. Nothing, impossible. There's nothing better for human beings than this sharia. And Ibn, Ibn Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Shinqiti has a book called Al-Islam Deen Al-Kamil. Why Islam is the perfect religion? From amongst the reason why he mentions that Islam is the perfect religion, is it sharia itself, the way it deals with money, zakah, how it deals with money to the point that the sharia, when, the, the is, when our Islam is implemented in a country, no doubt there will be no poverty if, it's, if, it's, if it is implemented correctly, which is very rare. And it came at the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, when the Prophet وسلم, said there will come a time where charity will be given and no one will come and take it. And that happened at the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. When does that happen? When the sharia is implemented by zakah. When zakah 2.5% is taken from the poor, from the rich, and given to the poor people, the wealth it trickles down. And it's the economy, you have trickle down economy, you have capitalism, communism. The sharia comes between that. And it speaks about So that wealth is not just amongst the rich of the rich people. The sharia came down to spread wealth equally. Not, not, not make the rich poor, no. It made the rich and give its wealth, give the right of the poor. So that society, they're living in a place which is, which people are not poor. What happens when people are not poor? Crime is less. People are not killed. People are not robbed. Crime is less, no doubt. When zina is spread, what happens? All of these bad things happen. 
And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a whole system of marriage in order to prevent things like zina, not just zina, but things like zina. So now, if someone's questioning why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say this is marital rape and this and that, that's, wallahi Allah's ruling is better than the ruling of the kuffar. Uh, who are these people who are talking? The people who are saying that are the same people who in their country, UK, 36,000 people, are, women are raped every single year. That's more than one every what? More than one, uh, one a day is, is bad enough. That's more than one a day. It's more than 100 a day, sah? In the USA, 76,000, in 2012 I saw this, 76,000 rapes in a year. And these are the people who are talking? These are the people who are taking your, your morals from? The people who say, I saw a sign on the bus saying, drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Yeah, how are you drinking responsibly? You don't know what you're doing. Allah, the poet, he says, Allah, the poet, the poet, the Arab poet is saying, they say, Alqahu fil bahri maktufan wa qala lahu, iyaka iyaka an tabtalla bil ma'i. He threw him into the sea with his hand chained up. He threw him into the sea and said, don't get wet. What's wrong with you? These are the same people who are taking your marriage, the, 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 these, these morals from. These are the same people who the man, and I, I know a lot of you guys go to the workplaces and you see how the, a lot of the non-Muslims are with, when it comes to their wives. My wife is this, my wife is that, and this and that. Have you seen that? I've seen these people, and they, as if the wife is the one who controls them. They're the one who wears the trousers in the relationship, as they say. Huh? Huh? And how many times are they cheating on their wives? And it's normal for them to go on holidays to cheat on their wives. Is it not normal in this society? This is the same society they're trying to take your morals from. The same and the ills of this society. You can't. You can say so much. These same people are the ones who are saying that it's okay for a man with a man to do this and that, and to the point that. And that's one of the big problems when it comes to being raised in the UK. That you you unknowingly. Taking their morals as if they're the ones who's right and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done his wrong. At least Allah, will be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's best for the people. He knows, and, and that, there is not something that we're just saying blindly, we're saying out of seeing. Have you not seen the safety that they are in the Muslim lands when the Sharia is, is, is implemented correctly? When the Sharia is implemented correctly, you don't see someone, well, I don't see someone stealing. I was in Mecca, I remember the first time I went to Mecca, I saw a gold shop, gold, gold. Wallahi, it was covered with a cloth. That's all it was covered. The people were going to pray Salah and they're coming back. Go covered with the cloth. Here, what, what's happening here? Allah, um, two doors and... Yeah. And is it, am I not wrong? Yeah, this, that, that's one part of the Sharia. When it comes to money, the, the 1% of the 1% of the richest people own how much of the wealth of the, in, the, in the world? 50 something percent almost, something like that. I can't remember the exact statistic. 1% of the people of the world own 50% of the wealth. And are, these, are these the same people whose system you're going to follow? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ حُكْمًا لِقَوْمٍ يُقِنُونَ No one is better than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to ruling. If, you're, if only if you're certain about Allah, if only you knew the deen of Allah, if only you had that iman in your heart, Allah, you would know that no one is better than Allah when it comes to ruling. This is a miracle. It's not just something that we're saying because we're Muslims, blind like Christians, where they say, just believe in you and throw yourself. No. Saying, look, look, at the, look, at the, look at the reality of these people, and look at the reality of the sharia when it is implemented. When it is implemented. These people are the same people who are trying to make... Uh, homosexual marriage allowed and next thing I've seen I've seen I've seen signs of, of people saying child uh, incest not incest trying, some people are trying to allow incest some people are trying child, child molestation in different different ways so the point is that that is something that Allah is a huge huge problem don't don't allow 
those people or the non-Muslims, the people who are less than the Muslims, naam, they are less, they're almost like animals. Allah says in the Quran, they're like animals, they're more misguided than animals. Don't let them dis- dictate your morals. And if, someone, if, if the Sharia says something, and you were born and raised in the UK, and it's not your fault, you were raised in the UK, and you think this is weird in the Sharia, control yourself, hold yourself back. Say, no, I'm not going to take what I believe, I'm going to take what Allah told me to believe. That's better. The only thing that the believer says when he's called to Allah and His Messenger, and to rule between them, and that they say, We hear and we obey. Allah says in the Quran, I swear by Allah, by Allah, by your Lord. They will never believe until you make Allah's Messenger the judge of what's good and bad. And then on top of that, and then on top of that, you don't even find any hate for the ruling of Allah. You love it. You don't find anything in your heart against the ruling of Allah. When you sallimu taslima and you completely submit. This is something that not everyone's going to be at yet. It's a level of iman. But no doubt when someone looks into the sharia of Allah, you learn about the deen of Allah, and you, you ponder upon the wisdom behind the meanings, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does things. And you ponder behind it, uh, on, uh, on top of that, over the, over the Quran, the miracle of the Quran, and the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the believer is going to be able to submit fully to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if you don't understand it. When Ibrahim was told to slaughter his son, did he say, that's, that's cruelty, that's cruelty to my son. He's told to slaughter his son. He says, what happened? Ibrahim, he took his son, put him on the floor, and was about to slaughter him, about to cut his head off. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no, okay, that was just a test. When Allah said to Ibrahim, Aslim, submit. Submit to what Allah wants from you. What did he say? I have submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the Lord of the worlds. And when that happens, then you're going to understand the reality of Iman. Then that's when you're going to really feel the Iman. You're going to understand that this is the deen of Allah. And not, on top of, not only that, you're, you're, not, you're not submitting to something that's bad, that's the thing. You're submitting to the best of rulers. You're submitting to the best of the best. You're not submitting to something that's evil. No, and if you, if, when, you, when, you, when you look into the results that the Sharia brings, no doubt you're going to see that the Sharia always brings good. So that's, the, that's what I would say to that. Wallahu alam. Faslun fi ahkami al-qasmi wal nushuz. When it comes to al-qasm, um, um, which is, what's qasm again? Hmm? Spending the time with the wives. يعني, what you have to do and choose disobedience. والتسوية في القسم بين الزوجات واجبة ولا يدخل على غير المقسوم لها لغير حاجة. So they say that if a person has multiple wives, he has more than one wife, then he has to equally split the time between them. He has to equally split time between them. And if he has two wives, he must spend one day with this one and the other day with this one. Or two days with this one and then two days with this one. Or three days with this one and then three days with this one. And this is the maximum that you can. You have to, do, you have to split between three and three. You can't do four and four unless they allow it. Unless they allow it. So you have to give each their own day. Then the author he says that you're not allowed to go to the house of the woman, of the wife, who's not, it's not her day. You're not allowed to go to her house unless you have a need. Okay? And this is an opinion amongst the Shafi'i and a lot of the scholars, they say that during the day, 
you're not allowed to go to the other wife's house. And unless there is a need, haja, you need to give her something or something like that. And at night time, you're not allowed to go at all. At night time, you're not allowed to go to the other wife's house at all. Illa li darura, unless it's a life or death situation or harmful situation. Then in that case, you're allowed to go to the house to solve that situation and then you come back. And this is because al-qasim is about physical time and it's not about what's in your heart. It's not about what's in your heart. It's not about love. When it comes to having two wives or three wives or four wives, it's not about who you love more. This is not what we're speaking about here. Because you can't control what's in your heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala controls what's in your heart. You may love one wife more than you love the other wife. Okay? And that's not what we're, we're talking about here. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Oh Allah, for, um, forgive me because I, I, don't, I don't have any control over what's in my heart. But allow me to be just outwardly. But as for in my heart, then I have no control. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved Aisha more, right? He loved Aisha the most. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. May Allah be pleased with her. Okay? So, you're not allowed to enter upon them at night time unless there is a darura. And during the daytime, you're not allowed to enter upon them um, unless there is a need. This is an opinion. Another opinion, Wallahu alam, is that during the daytime, you are allowed to enter upon them even when there's no need. Why? Because the Prophet wasallam, he entered upon his wives, he would go around all of his wives during one, one night or one day. He would go around all of his wives. So the point is here is not that you enter upon them, rather the point is that you spend the night with them. This is the most important thing, and this is the, this is the correct opinion. That the qasim is at night time. As for the daytime, then there is no there is nothing that is necessary. Wallahu a'lam. So I give you those two opinions. Why? Because that's the Shafi'i opinion, and I give you the other opinion. This opinion seems to be correct. Wallahu a'lam. Then he says, hand up. He says, وَإِذَا أَرَادَ السَّفَرَ When you want to travel now, what do you, how do you, what, what do you do when you want to travel? What wife do you take? He says, وَإِذَا أَرَادَ السَّفَرَ أَقْرَعَ بَيْنَهُنَّ Then you do Al-Qur'a. You pick lots. You pick lots. يعني, you write all of the names in a hat. And whoever comes out, you take them with you in that travel. You don't have to take them if they don't want to. Like in general, if you're going to take a wife, you can't say, I'm going to take you whenever I travel. No. You have to. Judge even justly between them. You have to be just in that situation. It can't be according to your desires. And the way to do that is for you to pick lots. And Qur'a, Musta'amalun, Qur'a, this, this, this method of random picking. It doesn't have to be necessarily picking lots. They have to be putting names in a hat and taken out. It's random. Anything that is random, anything that is random and allowed and permissible, then that's the way to do it. So whether it be on the computer and you put names and you click the button and it picks up a random name, then that's allowed as well. Okay, but the point is that you cannot choose which wife you want to take with you during a travel. Rather, you have to pick lots, and whoever's lots come out, then you take them with you. No. Rock paper scissors. Allah Allah Is that how random is that? That is random, like in. No, rock paper scissors. Allah Let me. I give you the principle, right? The principle is what? Anything that is random. Anything that is random. Is rock, paper, scissors random? Allah alam. I don't know. Now on the back. Oh, Ahmed. I was going to say, even if they agree, No, if they agree, it's fine. We're talking about here when they don't agree. If they agree, it's fine. No. You take one to a travel? No, we're talking about when you're traveling. If you're going to travel. Yeah, holiday, even holiday. Holiday, you, you have to, you can't, you can't choose which one. You have to. No, 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 you don't have to. You go back, you pick another lot, she comes out again, 
You take it again. Alhamdulillah. It's another thing about Qasim is also when you marry a new wife. Say you already have a wife, then you marry a new wife. Then if she's, it's going to be two situations. If she's a virgin, then you have to stay, you stay with her for seven days. You stay with her for seven days. Because normally what are you doing? You're doing one day, one day, one day, one day, right? But right now you married a, wife, you married a new wife now. She's new. She's a virgin, then seven days. And if she's not a virgin, then three days. This is because of the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sanna, he made it sunnah for a person to aqama, to, to, to stay with a new wife for seven days and with a wife who's not a virgin for three days. And the reason for that is because the virgin is new to this marriage, is new to marriage, the whole concept of marriage. Therefore, she needs more mu'anasah, she needs to be looked after and comforted more in this situation. So that, for that reason, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave her seven days. And as for the one who's not new to marriage, then the Prophet ﷺ gave them three days. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, let's say you're married and you're going to marry a new wife. Do you tell your wife that you're going to get married? Yeah, you should tell her. You can if you want. You can tell her if you want. Just say if you don't tell her and then your wife wants to divorce. Yeah, and if you don't tell her and then your wife wants to divorce, does she have the right to divorce in that situation? She has no right. In that situation, يعني, uh, you don't have to tell her. You don't have to tell her that you're getting married to a second wife. You don't have to. Unless you put it into the contract. If she put it in the contract originally, يعني, at the beginning of the marriage, she said that you're not allowed to get married to a second wife. Then in that situation, you're not allowed. But other than that, then she's right. That's given by Allah. And when she entered into the marriage, she should have known what she's entering into. She entered into a marriage where she's possibly going to be a second wife. And, let, and if, she, if she knew that, then she could have put it into the contract saying that I don't, I don't want to be a second wife. She's allowed to do that. No, no, no. You don't have to. No. Yeah, and you, you stay, it says in the other book, probably, isn't it? Right? Mm-hmm. And then? And that's it. Mm-hmm. No, it's a different book. Zubat, Zubat Libra Salan. He mentions that when you, when you marry her and you, you stay with her seven days, then you go to your original wife one day and then one day back. He doesn't go seven days each. No. Yeah. <coughs> Yeah, Thayyib and Bikr, yeah. And the second one is if the woman doesn't act when she's originally signed up a young age or something along the lines, if she renegotiate terms. If a woman is? Let's say she got married, but she must have forgot something in her contract. Can you renegotiate terms? No, they can't renegotiate terms unless they get divorced and they get married again. Even if the husband agrees? If the husband agrees, that's not going to be part of the contract. It's going to be a promise on him. Yawm al-Qiyamah, on the day of judgment. Like, it's not going to be part of the contract. The contract is something that is binding in law. You take it to the court of law, and it's binding. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know when you said uh, three days would be uh, maximum? For example, you had uh, two wives, three days, one, and three days with another. Uh, is, is there a hadith behind that like, three being the max? Because what no. like, there's a brother you... Yeah, there's no hadith. So, so the question is, if you have three days with a wife, uh, the ma- three days being the maximum that you can split between the wives. Allah alam about our hadith and that, but this is the what some of the scholars they mentioned. The reason why is because they say that it could be too long. They use they, they use uh, it could be too long for the wife to wait. So that's why they say that you can only you have to split between them three days max. So three days each max. Can't do four days and then four days. Allah alam. Yeah. Uh, 
He said, he said, he said, he said, he said, it's a good question, huh? Yeah, and if someone says that you don't, you don't have to tell the wife that you got married to a second wife, then how are you going to sleep in one house one night and then sleep in another house the other night? You have to tell her, you should tell her in that situation, otherwise you're going to be lying. And, that's, and someone did say something that's true, and they said that the lies that come out of not telling your wife that you got married are, is haram. The lies, not telling her is not haram, but the lies that are going to come out of it, those lies are haram. You don't have to be lying. Right? Last question, one, two, three, four. That's it. Yeah, exactly. In that situation, then it has to be birrida. You have to be pleased with it. You have to tell her that I'm in a different country. Are you going to accept me from being in another country for more than three days? And if she accepts, if you've got two, wives in two different countries, then she accepts, then she accepts. If she doesn't, then you need to sort that out. And then you, you want to go to another wife? Yeah. yeah. That's why we say the other opinion is stronger. You are allowed to go to other wife during the day. You are allowed. The question is that if the, if the wife is away from home, can you go to the uh, second wife because you want to go and um, sit down with the other wife? Then you're allowed. That's the strongest opinion. Allah yeah, you have to get. If you want to stay with uh, with the wife for more than three days, and she's a non-virgin, you just marry her, and you want to get more than three days, then you have to take permission from the other wives. Yeah. Yeah. If she, uh, the the principle is that if the wife agrees for any for you to go to another wife any time, it's allowed. If she agrees to it, then it's allowed. Like the hadith of Soda allowed the Prophet ﷺ to go. And when the Prophet ﷺ was dying, he said that I want to go to Aisha. So they allowed her to go to allowed him ﷺ to go to Aisha radiallahu anha. Then it's allowed if the wives agree for you to go to another house. Yeah. Tayyib, last question, yeah? Tayyib. Then he says, وَإِذَا تَزَوَّجَ So he says, وَإِذَا فَإِنْ أَبَتْ إِلَّا النُّشُوزَ هَجَرَهَا فَإِنْ أَقَامَتْ عَلَيْهِ ضَرَبَهَا وَيَسْقُطُ بِالنُّشُوزِ قَسْمُهَا وَنَفَقَتُهَا This is called nushuz now. And nushuz is generally, generally it comes from the word المطاولة for someone to go above, to, to be above. And what it means in the sharia is for a woman to refuse two things, right? Two things. Intimacy at night. And number two is um, leaving the house. If a woman has nushuz, then there are steps to resolving this nushuz. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these steps in the Qur'an. This is from the ayat of Ahkam. Again, this is an important reason why it's very important for a student knowledge to memorize the Qur'an. Allah says in the Qur'an, وَاللَّاتِ تَخَافُونَ نُشُوزَهُنَّ Those women who you are scared of and nushuz. فَعِضُوهُنَّ So in that, the first step is for you to advise her. And the scholars, they say, that advice should be done first. It has to be in order. Some of the scholars, they mention that. It has to be done in order. That you see from your wife, either that she is doing disobedience in these two things, or she's about to. You can see from her that she's getting a bit different. She's changing her behavior. And she, you know, maybe she's arguing with you every time. You, she, you tell her, don't go out, for example. Uh, or she's يعني, reluctant to do what you command, what you tell her to do in those two things. Then in that situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاللَّاتِ تَخَافُونَ نُشُوزَهُنَّ You can see from far that maybe she has some signs of nushuz. As they say, إِذَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا عَلَامَاتُ النُّشُوزِ Or إِذَا ظَهَرَتْ مِنْهَا عَلَامَاتُ النُّشُوزِ That some signs of disobedience, they come out. 
So Allah says, Give them advice. And that is to remind them of Allah. Say fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the right of the husband. Don't be disobedient. Remind her of the, of the promise and the reward of being obedient to the husband. No doubt it's a reward. Because in Jannatuki, the Prophet وسلم, said that this husband is going to be the, a reason for you to enter into Jannah. Right? And so you, you advise her. Then the second situation is If she now she does nushuz, either she rejects the, the, the calling to bed or she goes out of the house. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Then boycott her in bed. Boycott her in bed. And the scholars they mention, what does this mean? Some of them they say, boycott her in bed, don't sleep in the same bed. Some of the scholars they mention that. And the other also they mention is to not to have uh, intimacy with her, reject her. Okay? That's the third, second situation. If now the third situation now she still has nushuz on her, she's still committing these, these sins and or she's she's rejecting, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then do a darb. And I don't like to translate a darb the way that people say. They say that it's hitting and beating and things like that. And a darb is not just like that. Rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to discipline her. And there are conditions to this disciplining physically. Physically disciplining. That would be better to say. And there are conditions. Listen to these conditions. Number one, they say that this disciplining cannot be mubarrih. Uh, it cannot be mubarrih and it can't cause any damages to the bones, any breaking of bones. Number two, it can't cause any bleeding. So no breaking of the bones. Can't cause any bleeding. Number three, can't cause any bruising. Bruising. Number four, it cannot be on the face. Because the Prophet said, لا تضرب الوجه Don't hit the face. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ خَلَقَ عَادَمَ عَلَىٰ سُورَةِ It can't be on the face. Number, th- number three, number five, sorry, it can't be more than ten times. More, more than ten hittings. Number six, is that it cannot be with the intention of anger. Listen, this is an important one. huh? Some people, they say, they, they, they get angry with their wife. And they hit them because they're angry. This is, a, this is not allowed, it's a sin. You're hitting them because you're angry, no. Rather, it is more of a discipline. You're saying, you're showing her, I'm the boss here. Stop. <laughs> like that. Huh? Okay? This is, this is what it's talking about. Uh, it can't be out of anger. And number seven, it can't be out of revenge. It cannot be out of revenge. So what, what type of, what type of this physical disciplining is this? The Salaf, they gave an example of these conditions that I gave to you, I've given to you. They gave this example I just gave to you guys. That same example. They say it is like the hitting of a miswak. Yani you get, I got a pen, but you got a miswak. A miswak, and you use it to hit someone just to show who's in charge. What do you do when someone is going out of order and they are um, yani going out of, they're not behaving, a child's not behaving. You don't hit them in order because you're angry. Hitting them because you're angry, even a child's not allowed. Out of anger, taking your anger out of someone, hitting because of that, it's not allowed. But what is allowed is for you to show, look, I'm in charge, so instead of when they're about to take their sweet, as a child, huh? they're about to take something, you hit their hand, right? A slap on the wrist. This is what is intended by the Sharia. And it's, in, and it's something just to show who's in charge, who's the boss. That's what it's about. And it's not about revenge, harming, or anything like that. Because of the conditions that we met, no, no bleeding, no hitting on the face, not a certain amount of times, can't cause bruises, bones, and it can't be out of anger or of revenge. Right? Is that clear? And it's important because some people may use 
And I'm talking about the kuffar. They use this, this, this concept, they use this concept of hitting, and they say, look, you, you Muslim men are allowed to beat up your wives. No, that's not the situation. That's not how it is. Because we put these conditions on it. And the intention behind it isn't to harm her, isn't to hit her. The intention is just to bring her back to obedience, to, to show that you're not happy with what she's done. Is that clear? Does that make, that makes perfect sense? Ahsant. Hanabila, they bring a lot of conditions. Hanabila, they put 11 conditions. A lot. And from amongst that, they say that if you know that this hitting is not going to have any effect on her, then it's not allowed as well. Because the intention is what? Is to bring her back to good behavior. Taim? Can a, a person It can be have some pain. It can be a pain. Some pain. There should be some pain. There not should be. There can be some pain. Well, if it's more than, what if they, it can be more than that, what these conditions being there, that makes sense. Like a headlock. <laughs> 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 nah, it makes sense, it makes sense, nah. <laughs> 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 the Salaf, they gave an example of the miswak. It should be something that's minor. You should follow that. You don't, it shouldn't be above that. Nah, what's the back? At the back, yeah? Okay, last two questions, huh? Last two, yeah? لا تضربوا إماء الله. الله أعلم. I can't remember the, the I remember that that wording, but I don't remember the whole hadith. There's something else in the hadith, I think. From what I remember, there's something else in the hadith as well. I can double check that, inshallah. Someone, so, can someone check it, inshallah? These are broken. The if these are broken, the, the ground for divorce, of course, she's allowed to go and take that to a court and say, because of that, I don't, I, she, he hits me, so therefore, I don't want, I don't want to stay with this person. No doubt, it's allowed. Um, طيب. طيب. Mr. Maghrib, huh? طيب. Then he says, قسم ونفقتها um, والله تعالى أعلم. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه والحمد لله رب العالمين. Next lesson إن شاء الله تعالى كاريون. From خلع which is the divorce, the, the part of divorce. Because remember nikah is split into the conditions of nikah and then within the marriage. Then we're going to speak about the different types of separation of marriage. So خلع طلاق لعان different ways that husband and wife are separated basically. That's what we're going to be speaking about. والله أعلم.